You're listening to the Hoosier State Sports Show with Adam and Joey. Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to the Hoosier State Sports Show. I'm Joe. I'm Joey. I'm joined, as always, by my friend Adam. How's it going, Adam? Doing good. Glad to be home from work today. Yeah. I How bet. about you? I haven't been to work yet, but I go to work here in a little bit, and I'm not looking forward to it. I feel that pain, bro. <laughs> yeah. So, Adam, you want to tell us what we're going to cover today? Yeah. So, IU completes the sweep against Purdue men's basketball and women's. Yes. Colts continue to fill positions on their coaching staff, and the Pacers win one of two games this week. And we'll dive into that in just a minute. Yep. So, you alluded to it, Adam. I've been dreading this moment ever since the game was over on Saturday. But as you mentioned, IU beat Purdue. I'll let you first cover the other game IU had this week, and then we'll dive into that IU-Purdue game. Before we start that, I just want to point out, remember when you said you were going to cancel the podcast if IU lost, and here you are, you know, going against your words. So I'm I'm proud of you. Hey, I was a little hurt, and sometimes when people are hurt, they say things they don't really mean. Well, if you (laughs) just joined IU as a fan, we wouldn't have these problems. But anyway... Let's dive into some Indiana men's team talk this week. So IU ended up playing two two games. One of them was against Michigan State, which IU lost. As much as I don't like to discuss that, I know that for Michigan State, that was a pretty important game. It was the first game since the shootings that took place on their campus. Joey, do you think that in that game, that emotion led to IU's demise? Or was it the team itself? In a way, yes. In a way, no. I mean, obviously, going through what Michigan State went through, I don't think any university should have to go through that, but that's a topic for another day. I definitely do think that there is some extra motivation behind that Michigan State team, but at the same time, you can't really use that as an excuse coming from IU. I mean, we've seen IU here lately compete at a high level, and to drop this game – I think it still says something about them, even though Michigan State was playing with that emotion like you were alluding to. What about you? What do you think? I I think when teams get on an emotional roll, I think they can kind of elevate their talents. I won't say Michigan State is not still a solid team. Don't take this the wrong way. But right. I think with emotions riding high, I know that they did a complete whiteout for – Michigan State Stadium arena I think when you uh you look at all of that too you know you ride the you ride the high of the emotions and I think it led to a win but I still won't take away from Michigan State's talent so I think it's like you said it's a little bit of both yeah absolutely I think when you look at that game though too you know I'll play I'll play against IU for once you know I'll I'll take the bashing you know talk about what hurts I used bench in that game only scored six points CJ Gunn Anthony Leal made some feel or made some foul shots Malik Renault only went one from four though Jordan Geronimo didn't shoot Tamar played 13 minutes and didn't make his only shot of the game I think my concern with you know IU and this is before we talk about the Purdue game which things ended up changing the problem that you run into is you want the players off your bench to play. Now, CJ Gunn hasn't very hasn't played very much this season, if hardly at all. Anthony Leal is in the same boat. I know Jordan Geronimo 
has kind of been off and on with playing, which is a big shock to me, just given what he was able to do for the team last year. Right. But you had problems with the starters, too. Hood Shafino, you know, complete opposite from the Purdue game this weekend, went over five on three pointers. Still had a solid game. You know, he had to con- he had to rely on interior shots, though, which we'll dive into more on that with the IU game as well. Jackson Davis, though, also, again, 18 points, seven rebounds, five assists. Those are not uncharacteristic numbers for him. You know, solid, but no blocks in that game. You know, Michigan State isn't exactly known for having one of the better centers and power forwards in the Big Ten when you look at, you know, all those contributing factors. I think, you know, it could have led to that loss, but you have any other thoughts on that? No, I think you hit the nail right on the head. As you mentioned, Michigan State was playing with their emotions. Uh, IU didn't get any contributions off their bench, just like you said. And It is hard to win, especially in the Big Ten, when you're not getting any contributions outside of, you know, your top one or two players, which you will hear on my end, on Purdue ends a thing when we get to it, but on your end, Adam, let's let's talk about that Purdue and IU game. What do you oh, got yeah. on IU side? How how did they get this job done? How did they finally sweep Purdue? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it pretty short and sweet this week on that. So IU wins a shocker at Mackey Arena. You know, we had talked last week on the podcast. IU probably was gonna lose by 20. Yeah, IU, I think to their credit, just decided that they wanted to hang in there in this game. And the biggest contribution that comes from that, which, you know, I know we've talked about this in the last couple of days, is Jalen hood Shafino. What a game that young man had. 24 first-half points. I remember we were talking at halftime about, you know, has he had games like this before? And I was like, yeah, he's had whole games like this before. And you you made a comment. It's like, you know, he's just lighting it up this half. Yeah, my, my exact comment to you, if you don't mind me butting in for a second. Go right ahead. I called that game the, the Hood Shafino com- or breakout party game. I mean, like you said, he's he's had big games like this before, but 24 first half points on a national stage against the, the number five team in the nation, that speaks volumes for just how far this freshman has come this year because as we saw in the Michigan State game and earlier this year, he didn't have – you know, it, it wasn't consistent throughout his freshman year, but you've, you've seen here lately, and it's a big part of why IU has really turned their season around. He has consistently been improving, and that's really what you want to see out of your freshman. And really, you want to see that out of your face of the team for next season. Right. Which I hate to sadly allude to this already, but those of you that are not aware of why – Hood Shafina will be the face of the team soon is unfortunately Trace Jackson Davis made the official announcement to the Indianapolis star this past week that he would be foregoing his extra COVID year and would be leaving IU at the end of this season. So he has the remaining two home games and he has whatever the team decides to end up doing in March madness, which hopefully I obviously want them to go all the way. We'll see if that happens. I'm not, placing any bets on that yet but I wouldn't place a bet on that either just saying but what about from Purdue side what do you kind of think went right what went wrong for them what do you take away from that game before I dive completely into that I just wanted to you know give Jackson Davis his roses you know we've we've 
we've said multiple times over the last couple of weeks just how successful his career at IU was. And I think he's making the right decision. I'm not sure about you. I mean, he, he was on the verge last season. It was a, a little bit of a shock that he actually came back to, to play this season. But I think he's making the right move. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, Painter's comments. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind that he can make a team in the NBA and play a significant role for a team. But I just wanted to give him his roses coming from a Purdue fan. Now, that's the last time I'm going to compliment IU because we have to dive into, like you said, what went wrong for Purdue in that loss. Yeah. So I kind of want to break this down into two things. I'm going to look at the that loss to IU, and I'm going to look at all five losses for Purdue this season because four of those five losses have come over the last six games. They're just two and four over their last six games. So first off, looking at, looking at that IU game, Zach Eadie scored 26 points, 16 rebounds. Again, another great game by Eadie that was wasted. Fletcher Lawyer added 14 points. However, he had three turnovers. Caleb First and Brandon Newman each added eight points. And as a team, Adam, they shot 35% from the field and a lousy 21.7% from three. Free throws were also a struggle. They shot 66% on 22 of 33. They got to the line plenty, but just couldn't knock down those. I mean, they're called free shots for a reason. Couldn't knock them down. So, in theory, these are all fixable things, but like much like IU, Purdue only has two games left of the regular season. So, let's, let's look at all five of Purdue's losses and see what's kind of contributed. So, I, I mentioned the shooting in that game against IU. Over the five losses, Purdue as a team has averaged just 24.4% from three-point range. That is not a typo. I, I no. did the math myself. Ooh. With, with some help of a calculator, albeit, but 20, le- less than a quarter of their three-pointers are going in. Not good, Adam. No, not good at all. Also, in those five losses, they've, they've had a total of 59 turnovers, which averages out to about 12 per game. Another thing that will most likely lose you games, as it has. The kind of surprise thing to me, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, Edie has been consistent even in these losses. In the five games that Purdue's lost, he's averaged 24 points and 12.2 rebounds. Those are good numbers. So the question becomes who's going to step up and kind of be the secondary scorer, you know, because clearly we're still getting production from Edie, but we're not getting, he's not getting any help. So just kind of break down who it should and could be. So obviously you have the freshman guards and Braden Smith and Fresh Fletcher Lawyer. They've both shown signs of being that secondary score, but like I said, freshmen, they have not been very consistent. And unlike uh, Hood Shafino for your Hoosiers, Adam, they've kind of taken a step back of late. Another player I want to throw out there is Caleb First. This is a guy that was touted pretty highly as a recruit when he came here, and he showed he showed a lot of signs early on, like in his freshman year. But he's just been really quiet this season. He's only averaged 6.2 points and five rebounds per game. He's another player that needs to take a take a step forward in his production if Purdue wants to somehow turn this season around. And then an idea I had is maybe it's a guy that's not even starting, like Mason Gillis or Brandon Newman. These are both guys who have proven throughout the season they have the ability to knock down shots. 
But what I'm getting at here is clearly whatever they're doing isn't working despite getting that production from Edie. So I don't know if it's one of these freshman guards or if it's Caleb first or an adjustment to the starting lineup, but something needs to change. What, what, what are your thoughts, Adam? Do you see any of these guys being the answer to, to turn Purdue season around as we kind of start to wind down on the regular season? Well, first, let me talk about what I think the problem is. And I alluded to this with you in conversations, but I think that Zach Eady is the problem. And I know that's going to come off as a shock for people. Yeah. And again, please don't don't think that I'm trying to disrespect him in any way. You know, he, he came in and he did. He did what he was supposed to do in that game. 26 points, you know, 10 of 14 from the free throw line. Again, about 70% like his are his typical numbers, but the problem is, and IU has had similar problems until Hood Shafino showed up in this game and, you know, reminded IU fans that they need to get used to Trace Jackson Davis not being around, is that when you rely on someone like Edie and your other scores aren't contributing, Edie can't save you in the tournament. It's going to be a lot faster paced. It's going to be a lot more intense. You're going to have to go up against some of the better guards in the country and produce guards in this game did not play well. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go with some statistics as well again. And I'm, I'm going to throw Mason Gillis under the bus. I expected honestly a lot better of a game from him. I know he's been in and out of Purdue starting lineup, but went over two from the three point line again, Newman was not doing too good either. Went two for five on three pointers, but you know, Eight points, you'd expect a little bit better out of someone that has been flirted with being one of their starters. Morton went one from one for four from the three-point line. Lawyer went four for 12 for the entire game. Braden Smith went two for 11. Your, your players that are not Edie, because you rely so much on Edie and maybe they're not getting those shots as consistently as they should, with exception of maybe Lawyer, or sorry, Lawyer and Smith, you're going to run into problems against different teams. So I think for me, the problem is that maybe the other players are not shooting enough. Well, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do have some thoughts on that. First off, <laughs> you had you did mention this in our text messages, and I told you that you brought it up. It would not be a very popular opinion. And humbly and respectfully, Adam, I couldn't disagree with you more. In fact, you kind of you kind of like gave me my argument for me. You went from saying Edie is the problem to saying how he's not getting any help. He's not, get, or he's not getting any help from the supporting players, but, and you also mentioned Trace Jackson Davis. So I know you briefly talked about this, this win for IU, but how many points did Trace Jackson Davis finish with Adam? Eight, 10, something like that. 10. Yeah. Yes. And you still won this game, correct? You had got, you got obviously, Hood Shafino having an amazing night with 35 points. To me, there is not a player on Purdue that can do that. If Zach Eady has a bad game, they're not going to win. Obviously, even if he has a good game, he's not going to win. But that's because these results are not because of Eady's performance. Uh, like I said, humbly and respectfully, I couldn't disagree with you more that Eady's the problem. Like I said, we, we need to get another, another guy or two that is consistent in the way they step up. Like, I know Lawyer scored 14 points this game, but if you go back, it, it's always one guy or nobody. It's either 
uh, Smith, but he's not consistent. Lawyer, he's not consistent. I know there was the one game where Gillis went off for like 27 points. I don't know that he's had 10 points outside of that. The problem is he needs some more support. So respectfully, Adam, I couldn't disagree more. And I I, I apologize for getting a little, wor- a little worked up. I guess that <laughs> loss is still a little fresh. It's still a fresh wound, bro. <laughs> I mean, but here, my thing is with Edie, I – Again, let me go back to this for a minute. I want to clarify something. When I say Edie is the problem, it's not because of how he plays. It's because of how the team around him is playing because they're relying on him. Yeah, I think I, I, that reliance is where I consider him the problem. I still so, can't get behind that, bro. I mean, you look You look at – I mean, I don't know how many games you've watched of Purdue outside of the IU matchups, but – I've watched a couple, to be honest with you. A lot of times the ball does move through Edie, and a lot of times he's doubled, sometimes even, even tripled team. He gets the ball to this these perimeter shooters. He does his part. But you need somebody to knock him down. Like I said, 24.4% from three on these losses. Zach Edie doesn't shoot threes. Those aren't his misses. He's finding the open teammates. It's on them whether they're going to knock them down or not. But like I said, they, obviously something needs to be done, whether it's somebody new stepping up or a small adjustment to the starting lineup. But as I alluded to, you know, there's only two games left of the regular season. This week they've got Wisconsin at Wisconsin and Illinois at home. Both of those teams, Adam, are right there in the mix for a tournament berth. So, Needless to say, there there will not be a lack of motivation on their part. So I'm just interested to see how, you know, Purdue responds and if they can begin to get things back on track. Because we're going quickly approaching that Big Ten and March Madness tournaments. And to be frank, and this hurts me to say, if they don't get it fixed, it could be an early exit for them. And that's going to make me feel bad. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But with that being said, I wanted to throw this out there too. And I've tried to remind myself of this several times since Saturday. I don't want any anybody, including myself, to forget what the expectations for this Purdue team was this year. They were, they were projected to finish six in the Big Ten, Adam. Yeah. So I know they've struggled recently. And again, I'm trying to remind myself this as much as anybody listening. They struggled lately, but I don't want to lose sight of the fact that they have extremely over-exceeded expectations this season. Obviously, it's still going to be a hard pill to swallow if it's another early exit, but I feel a little I, bit better getting all that off my chest. I apologize for going on a rant there, Adam. You know, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. It's completely fine. And I was, think, <laughs> I was thinking about this on my way to work as I was thinking about our podcast tonight, but one of the things that I remember we talked about at the beginning of the season is, um, and I'm going to kind of pick on you for a second, you said, why is IU ranked higher than Purdue at the beginning of the season? Yeah. And I remember I told you distinctly, I think that, you know, I can't, let me apologize for not remembering. Oh, Jaden Ivy. It took me a second to remember his name. But see, that's the thing. This is a team that has gone past him. Maybe some have forgotten me, myself included. (laughs) But I, I think expectations that we had for our programs were extremely high. I think you said it. Purdue's going to do really good this season. You guys did. You had an excellent incoming class. Caleb First and Trey Kaufman have basically been Indiana State players the last two years. Yep. I think people are losing sight that Purdue has a good roster set up in place. Now, well, I know 
go ahead. Sorry, I was just saying, what, and they are young too, which is another thing I'm trying to remind myself. I mean, Zach Eadie's a junior. I know he's had a phenomenal year, but the NBA doesn't value big men like they used to. So I would not be surprised if he comes back for his senior year. And I highly, highly hope he does because at this rate, there's going to be un- some unfinished business. But they are a young team. Like I said, we had the two freshman guards who have shown a lot of potential. Uh, Gillis, I believe, is a junior. Uh, I think Ethan Morton is the only senior on their starting lineup. I could be wrong. I'd have to check. But I'll let you continue. But I just want to throw in there, they are a fairly young team, too. Well, I was actually going to ask, you know, your thoughts on Edie potentially leaving. And I have to say, I completely agree with your assessment of that. Yeah, you know, it's going to be the NBA's loss for sure. You know, he's he's a solid rebounder. You know, like you said, he does get the ball spread around. And, you know, for someone that's his height, he shoots free throws very well. You yeah, know, we're not this, talking about this was a fall. If this was 15, 20 years ago, there's no doubt he's a top three draft pick this year, in my humble opinion. But like I said, the league just doesn't value them like they used to. And in this case, it would be to produce benefit if we could get him back next year. But I guess time will tell, bro. I, I don't I'll be honest with you and we can kind of then switch after that. I just don't see that being a problem for Purdue heading into next year. I know that. Purdue fans might be worried about Edie, kind of like IU fans are worried about Trace Jackson Davis. But I think the difference is, and I never got to finish this thought about Jackson Davis earlier, he is an NBA player. He is NBA ready. This season has done nothing more to prove it. Even in the Purdue game this weekend, came back with zero points at the end of the first half and scored 10 in the second half and had eight rebounds and seven assists. He found ways to contribute outside of scoring the ball. And that's what NBA teams like to see, not to, you know, throw Edie under the bus, but I think Jackson Davis's game is a little more adaptable to the NBA if well, he continues to push the gas pedal into the tournament. You can call this me being defensive as well. But I do think that Jackson Davis just fits the the mold of what they want an NBA quote unquote big man to be these days. They, like I said earlier, they don't value these seven one seven two seven three guys like they once did they want a guy like jackson davis who's what six ten who can stretch the floor and i do think that that gives jackson davis the the upper hand regardless but again 15 20 years ago Edie's a top three draft pick but i don't want to get stuck on this and i don't want i don't want to keep saying next year next year next year because this purdue team has shown this year that they are capable of making a run but they got a lot of stuff to get straightened out in these last few games but another team adam who's uh had a tremendous year and i'm gonna let you take over here iu women's team what happened this week i saw that they lost to iowa you want to talk about that yeah i know i alluded last week that they would only have one game this week and sure enough it was played just yesterday so iu ends up losing on a buzzer beater to iowa 86 to 85 which I'm not going to take anything away from Iowa's win, which is incredible. I do think that this, this is a win that is a true test of what's going to come in the tournament for IU. So let's kind of break that game down for just a second. Caitlin Clark, you know, to nobody's surprise, is the reason that Iowa won that game. 34 points, 9 assists, 9 rebounds. So before I dive into what IU managed to do right despite that loss, 
Do you think that Caitlin Clark has earned player of the year? I know you've alluded to thinking she's a really good talent, but what are your thoughts after this IU game? Oh, absolutely. I think if there was any doubt in anybody's mind before this game, I think that it's just confirming. I mean, 34 points, as you said, hit the buzzer beater to beat Indiana, given Indiana only their second loss of the season. I don't see anybody in the nation beating her out for the national player of the year. Now, I'll talk about this with IU, and I'll address my concerns, and then I'll see where your thoughts go. Mackenzie Holmes had another solid game. She had 21 points, six rebounds, two assists. She had a lot of trouble with fouls, ended up finishing with four. She almost got booted from the game, which, again, I don't know if that contributes at all to IU, you know, losing that game because she was in foul trouble for quite a bit of it. But you had some phenomenal performances from some of the other you know, ladies on the team. So Yarden Garzen finished with seven points and 14 rebounds. Berger finished with 16 points, eight assists and four rebounds. Again, not too surprising from her. I think looking at that game though, two, IU did pretty well with the free throws, only missed one. And that was McKenzie Holmes. Think about how much that one point stings IU now. (laughs) If that's the one free throw you missed for the whole game. That's an excellent point. And obviously, you know, Sydney Parrish, I think she's going to really take over next year as the leader of this team when you lose Holmes and Berger, but she had 18 points, pretty solid performance from her. So my concern with IU, I, I get this, we're, we're still the number two team for the ladies in the country, but my concern is this was a loss at Iowa, and I believe the Michigan State game that IU lost earlier in the season was at Michigan State. So in my mind, if you're heading into the ladies tournament and you're a team that only wins at home, I have concerns as a fan that you're going to start going to away arenas and you may not hold up. I wanted to get your thoughts on that too. I will say I'm not quite as concerned as you are, Adam. For the simple fact, like you said, yes, they lost this game at Iowa. But they lost by one point, and it took 34, 34 points from their best player. In fact, Clark nearly had a triple-double, 34 points, yeah. nine, assists, nine rebounds. It took that kind of performance and a buzzer beater to defeat Indiana. I think that goes a long way. And just to throw this out there, these games in the tournament will be neutral site. So I don't, I don't see that being as big of a concern as you might see it, but I said it last week, and I'm just going to reiterate right now. I think I think this team could beat anybody in the nation, including South Carolina. I'm going to hold you to that, man. I'm going to hold you to it. Which, again, you know, this this beats the question, so I'll ask. I know, I know men's, we have the rivalry, but if I use women's team makes it to the championship, are you going to root for them? Let me first say this. Yes. I mean, like, I think you made the comment last week, this is Indiana's Cinderella team. Who doesn't like a good Cinderella story? Yeah. But I also want to say something that might surprise you, and I thought I've told you this before, but let's say we get to the men's tournament. Purdue gets bounced early, and I and Indiana goes on a run. I'll root for Indiana. I have no shame in rooting for the home team. I don't really hate Indiana, except for when Indiana and Purdue play each other just because of the rivalry there, you know, but. Like I said, yes, I will absolutely be rooting for this Indiana women's team, and I hope they do make it. I mean, like you said, it would be a heck of a story. 
you know, and for IU's history, we might finally get a banner, which our men probably won't end up doing for us, but maybe our women will. I don't feel bad for your men's program, man. Our, our, ours don't have <laughs> one either, so at all. At least you got some before you was alive, albeit, but. Yeah, pretty much. All right, let's move on from this college talk, bro. You want to talk about some Colts news? Yeah, let's dive into it now. I'm going to give Joey all the credit for the research because I've been, you know, kind of lacking in this department for the Colts here lately. But I know the Colts are continuing to fill positions on the staff. So it was actually announced just today that Gus Bradley will officially be staying on the staff. Thank goodness is the defensive coordinator under Coach Steichen. Now, the other bad news that we got this week, you know, just to kind of counteract that is special teams coordinator Bubba Ventrone announced that he'll be taking the same position with Cleveland. Now, I know people will like be like, well, why did he leave if he was just taking the same position? But I think that's because they offered the associate head coach role, which since he didn't get our job, it would be yeah. a promotion in a sense of you're getting probably more money. Maybe there's other forms of compensation as well. And he played for Cleveland for, I believe it was three seasons of his NFL career. And so I, I know there I are know, ties sorry, there. Adam, I don't know about you. I can't be mad at Adam. I mean, we, we talked about it last week. I, it had to have stung not to get offered neither the interim position or the full-time head coaching position. And yeah. like you said, he did get that assistant head coach title with the Browns. And I was doing some, uh, I guess you can call it soul searching the other day. <laughs> and as much as it stung to see that, I had to come to, to the realization, am I really going to get this upset about losing a special teams coordinator? I mean, yes, the players love him. He got the best out of their players. But at the end of the day, it's a special teams coordinator, bro. And like you said, we got to keep Gus Bradley. So thankfully, we got to keep at least one of them. But again, nothing but love and respect for Bubba Ventrone. I'm glad that he got somewhat of a promotion in Cleveland. But I'll let you continue now. I'm going to throw this out here. And I think it's, I think to me, it is a bigger deal than maybe what's led on. Not like. I'm not going to, you know, cry tears over it or anything. The Colts have had a top 10 performing special teams unit since he arrived. He's been very consistent. I believe they finished eighth this season, if my information on that is correct. But you look at the change that happened with Chase McLaughlin after we cut Rodrigo <clears throat> Blankensmith. I think people forget that special teams does include the kicking as well. Now, I'm not going to sit and say that Matt Hack or that Matt Hack is a great punter by any stretch, but he got better as the season went along, finally quit muffing. I believe he might have even led this year in punt yards. Don't quote me on that one. I'll check my sources later. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get into some of these guys in a little bit when we start to look at the combine, but I do want to butt in for one more second. I, I don't question that one bit. I believe Bubba Mendrone was very good at what he did. I think he was very deserving of being considered for the head coaching position. Obviously, I'm happy with the the Steichen hiring, but yeah. at the end of the day, like you said, it, he did very well at his job, but it's still a special teams coordinator, and I'll leave it at that, and then I'll let you t take back over, and I'll quit interrupting you for a minute. Well, my final piece before I let you dive into some more offensive news is that you had Chase McLaughlin come in in – did much better than Rodrigo. Obviously, I know he's one of our free agents that we have to determine if we're going to resign. I believe McLaughlin was very unproven before the season. I remember we signed him and it's like, 
why are we signing McLaughlin of all the kickers? Go get Goskowski, you know, the former New England kicker, someone that has a bit more experience. But as the season went on and he kept being consistent, I started to place some trust in him. And I remember you and I were going to games and I think the audience around us thought the same thing. It's like, well, at least we can score by kicks now. Yeah, We don't right. have to worry about that. But yeah. let's talk so, about uh, the Colts icon. Dive into that for us. Yep. So continuing on the uh, the staffing position, Zach Kiefer of The Athletic reported just the other day that it is extremely likely that Colts wide receiver coach and all-time great Reggie Wayne will be returning to the team this season. Of course, this is important because he's formed relationships with this young receiving core, including but not limited to Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce. Uh, obviously, Paris Campbell is set to hit free agency. No real word on if he's going to be brought back or not, but I know they have a good relationship. But if we have to replace him, obviously we're going to be looking to draft somebody or bring someone in through free agency. So it's nice to keep the the all-time great put. And I think he has a lot of a lot of important information that you can share with these young guys. Yeah, so Colts, I know you. Go ahead, Adam. I was going to say, I know you alluded to that, you know, beginning staff on the receivers that we have that were kind of on the younger end of things. I think having a potential Hall of Fame receiver is a very valuable experience. I think there's a lot he can teach as he heads into, I believe it's, is this his third or second year he's getting this ready This would be a second to? year, yep. I think, you know, as a, as a coach, it's like me being a teacher. You start and you're learning the ropes, but I think with Wayne coming in for another year, I think he'll be even better. And I'm I'm willing to say now I think that somebody on our offensive receiving staff is going to take some big steps this upcoming year. Well, and, and not to mention, if you even leave out the part of him being an all-time great, consistency goes a long way with some of these young guys. I mean, I'm looking at Alec Pierce, you know, in particular – just just being able to have the same guy in the room as he did last year who he's already worked with that 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 can go a long way in his progression so also filling in another position this was a big one Adam Colts hired Tony Sperano Jr as their O-line coach Sperano was the assistant O-line coach for the Giants and spent time on the staff of four other teams prior to that needless to say Adam he's taken over a uh, an offensive line that wasn't very good last year. I mean, they, the team has potential. They still got, you know, Pro Bowl caliber players like Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly there. And I think Bernard Reinman, while he struggled early last year, showed that he's very deserving of getting that left tackle position. And he showed a lot of uh, potential. So be interesting to see if Sperano could continue Reinman's progression and kind of get this offensive line back to where it was a couple years ago. What do you think about Sperano's hiring? Well, I'll be honest, I had not heard about this. This is actually a first for me. Yeah. But I remember when his dad, Tony Sperano, was the Miami Dolphins coach and he was hired because of his pedigree on the offensive line. Yep. And I remember for years, Miami always had a really good running scheme. They seemed to be able to get the ball down the field. I know that Tony Sperano is no longer with us. Rest in peace, may he. But I know his son carries on that legacy of really being able to work very well with offensive linemen as you know his hiring can tell us given that he's offensive line based but I think any change is a good one at this point I was never a big fan of Chris Strouser I'll be very honest about that 
I remember we had DeGlugli, or I can never say his, this man's name right, but Dave DeGlumilimio. I'm going to leave it at that. I know that he was there the first year that we had, like, Smith and Nilsson and all of them gelling together, and then the Colts just abruptly got rid of him. Yeah. So I think well, the – go ahead. No, sorry. I'll let you finish. I was just going to say, I think change on the offensive line coaching staff is a good thing. And I was just going to say, you and I sitting there watching all those Colts games last year, you know very well my feelings on that offensive line. I put a lot of the blame on last season failure on them. I I don't excuse what Matt Ryan did or anything like that, but that offensive line played a huge role in that lackluster offense. We'll leave it at that till another day. But You don't want to blame Black Pryor? What's that? You don't want to just blame Matt Pryor? Oh, don't get me started, bro. <laughs> I'm still worked up over that Purdue loss the other day. You're trying to get me worked up over an entire season ago on the Colts. Jeez. Hey, isn't that the reason we started this podcast is so I could argue Something with like you. that, bro. One of these days, I got to get you worked up. I can't be the only one screaming over here. People um, are going to think I'm a lunatic or something. Don't worry. My time will come, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, let so it's pretty important that these – uh pieces are falling into place on the coaching staff can you tell us why that is yeah so indianapolis is actually hosting the combine coming up this week starting i believe it's thursday or friday the moves thursday so a lot of the players that are coming in from the college ranks are going to be getting evaluated by nfl scouts nfl general managers coaches owners to try to find their fits on teams. Now, many people are obviously aware of the Colts need to take a quarterback, which most people believe will be done in the first round. So this draft gives the team a chance to meet with some of the prospects. So looking at where the quarterbacks kind of fall into what will happen this week. So CJ Stroud, Will Levis and Anthony Richardson kind of as a wild card for a final name are all going to be participating in the combine. So those three, the Colts will be able to get a pretty good look at. And there's been, I know for a lot of teams, I'm going to leave out the quarterbacks we've talked about a lot, but there's been some conversations that if Anthony Richardson comes out, there's going to be a lot of debate on whether we should select him or not. So in addition to that, though, those three, as I mentioned, Stroud, Levis, and Richardson will be coming, but a, a name that's not and is a little surprising to me is Bryce Young. He's going to attend and take some interviews, but doesn't plan to throw. I believe the plan is that he's going to be throwing at his pro day in Alabama. I want to say that's March 15th, Yeah, if my sources are correct. But obviously, the Colts are going to get a pretty good look at the quarterbacks. But I know that we have some other things that we're going to have to do as well. You want to dive into that for us? Yeah, so we'll do that by kind of looking at the schedule for the Combine. So Thursday will be the defensive linemen and the linebackers. This this is two positions that the Colts could be looking to add some depth, especially with Yannick Ngakwe and Bobby Okereke both uh, set to hit the free agency market if they're not re-signed. And Friday you have the defensive backs and special teams. Uh, There's a lot of reports that Kenny Moore might be – might be out the door, which I support, as well as Brandon Faison leaving, which I also support. Oh, we so know that. there's there's definitely going to be a need for Indianapolis in the uh, cornerback position. So that is definitely a day to tune in. 
as far as special teams goes, we, we kind of hinted at it earlier. There was, Chase McLaughlin came in and was extremely impressive. I wouldn't mind if the Colts were to bring him back. We also alluded to the the struggles from Matt Hawk this se- or this past season. Obviously, we still have Rigoberto Sanchez, who suffered that, I believe, Achilles. Was it an Achilles tear before the season last year? It was Achilles or foot. I know whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not real sure on the status it. of that. I know Sanchez was pretty good. I don't know where he's at injury-wise. Matt Hawk, as we said, kind of struggled but came on late. So could be there to check out some punters. Obviously, it's not a position you want to waste a draft pick on. But nonetheless, it's important to do your due diligence and do your research on these guys. Moving on to Saturday. Saturday's the big day. You got the quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends. So we've obviously spoken extensively about the quarterback position. But the wide receiver room is another one that, in my opinion, Adam could use some improvement. I mentioned it earlier, Paris Campbell is uh, set to be a free agent. And I think maybe next week, Adam, if you want, we'll kind of go through some of the pending free agents for the for the Colts and whether we think we should bring them back or not. But definitely yes. the wide receiver, wide receiver room is another one that they might look to make a move on. Uh, then obviously the tight end room is pretty packed full already. You got Mo Ali Cox, who hasn't been much of a contributor. Hopefully Kyle goes bye-bye. Mason. Drew Ogletree, who had a strong preseason last year before getting injured, and Jelani Woods. So tight end room's pretty full already. Then moving on to Sunday, you have the O-line and running backs working out. We stated earlier the O-line is one that needs some adjustments, and obviously we've got that new coach in Sperano Jr. So definitely think that they'll be paying attention to the linemen on uh, Sunday. As far as running backs goes, they have a pretty clear number one, two, and really three in Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss, and Deion Jackson. But running backs, one of those positions that can really make an impact on special teams. You know, that's how Deion Jackson got his shot. He was a special teams contributor and ended up getting a shot on the offense. Yeah, as as I kind of look at what you mentioned, we we have some clear differences. I I do agree with the defensive line and linebacker help particularly on the line if the Colts don't feel that what they currently have is going to develop well linebacker I think regardless you're going to have to look at this upcoming season I am not one that thinks the Colts need to look at corners people can feel free to comment on that later to us but I feel Kenny Moore I agree is out the door good riddance and obviously if the Colts can't trade him He's an eight million cap that holds zero penalty for the cap to us. Yep. I do agree. Maybe look at punters, although I think Sanchez should come back and be fine. So not too worried there. Can, can we backtrack to this defensive back thing real quick, Adam? So I know, like you mm-hmm. said, Moore and Faison, neither of us would bat an eye if they were cut, or I know Faison's a free agent, but so that leaves us with Stefan Gilmore and uh my guy uh Oh, shoot. Dropping Rodney. his name, Adam. Help me out here. Isaiah Rogers. Yes, Isaiah Rogers, who I think is extremely underrated. So you said it's not really a position of worry. Who do we have outside of those two? We had Rodney Thomas the second Safety. He could be a corner. He was drafted yeah, but as a he, corner. He showed how valuable he is in that safety position. Yeah, maybe the Colts played three safeties. We already barely played two linebackers if we keep yeah. the Gus Bradley system. Anyway, but still, as Nick, sorry, before you move on, as as nickel heavy as 
Gus Bradley's defense is, I do think that the cornerback position is one that they need to look at in the draft, but I'll let you continue. Well, you have to remember, we have my personal favorite on the team, Dallas Flowers. That's the answer right there. That's going to solve all of the Colts' problems. I can't, I can't disagree with you there, but I, I still think that you need to add some depth there. Depth, I agree, but starters, no. I guess that was the point I was trying to get to. And then finally, just to kind of finish it off, obviously I know we can talk more about this next week because I've already started looking into the Colts' salary cap situation. Which yes, and that, I'm I, we said it before, you're a big about. numbers guy, and I'm not as good. So definitely look forward to you breaking down some of these numbers for me because I get lost real quick when I start looking at contracts and guaranteed money and this and that i just get lost so well i've I've been doing these contracts and projected salaries since i was like 10 yeah again just to let people in on my insights of how long i've loved looking at salary caps for the team but anyway yes pretty much i do i do see some slight changes in the tight end room bye bye mo alley cox we'll get into that more next week and then i'm gonna i'm gonna go on a a rampage here about how I don't think we're going to replace any of the running backs. We're going to get a fill and we're going to get two Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to put quote starters. One I know is a definite starter. The other one Colts fans might be excited about, but we can dive more into that next week. Uh, Leave us, leave us hanging. Why don't you? It's my favorite thing. I love cliffhangers. (laughs) Know this about me now, but let's dive into the Pacers for just a minute and then we can, start to wrap up again my pacers continue just to ride the struggle bus but i'll have some good news to share because remember we did say they won one of two this week the first game they played they lost to the boston celtics double overtime score ended up being 142 to 138 as a pacers team it's nice to see you hang in there with a good team even in that loss miles turner played a phenomenal game 40 points was 8 for 10 on three-point shots, had 10 rebounds. He's only one of 10 players in NBA history with that type of stat line. That's impressive numbers, for especially for as big as he is, to be able to knock down 8 of 10, 80% from three. That's impressive regardless of what position you play. And he's always been an underrated player at that spot. I don't think people realize how good he is at stretching the floor and shooting from anywhere. Yep. He's the type of player you really want. I'm glad the team re-signed him, thank goodness. But you look at some of the other stat lines, again, Trace or Tyrese Halliburton, 22 points, 14 assists, three steals in that game. But then Nick Mathurin himself had another nice solid game from the bench, 19 points, seven rebounds, and four assists. But let's dive into the game that is also going to throw another statistic out, which will maybe shock some people. But the Pacers actually won a game. They beat the Orlando Magic, which, of course, the Pacers and Orlando were tied for records, so that doesn't help our lottery pick options, obviously. But they ended up winning by a score of 121 to 108. It was the Pacers' first road win since December. Wow. Two months. Yeah, almost three. We're almost in the March now. Incredible feat to finally break that record. But... Again, that game, the stat lines don't really pop out too much. You had Tyrese Halliburton. He had 15 points, 14 assists. But the big surprise that kind of comes to me 
again, and this is not saying that Mathurin's 19 is a surprise, but remember, the Pacers are kind of heavy at small forward now. They've got some players there. They have Mathurin, you have Duarte, you have Buddy Heel, depending on the scenario. But Jordan Noria, Jordan Noria, remember, I kind of was critical of this addition when we traded for him. He was, and I was going to point that out because, as we mentioned last week, I enjoy when you're wrong, but continue. But he came in and had 18 points off the bench, eight rebounds, and six assists. Very impressive numbers, if I do say so myself. But I wanted to ask you this. Looking at Tyrese Halliburton's last two games, so he had 14 assists against the Magic, 14 assists against the Celtics. Last week, he was very assists heavy. Are we starting to see that maybe he's better from the injury? I I think so. I mean, that, we, I mean, we already know that he's always a threat to score, but the thing he's most known for is these assists. Like you said, back-to-back games with 14 assists, playing pretty pretty identically to the way he was playing before he got injured. So I think he's completely healthy, not to mention he played in that All-Star game last week. He wouldn't have done that if he wasn't feeling well. That's a good perspective, too. But my question for you, Adam, and you know how I feel about this. I know you're getting a little bit excited again because you're seeing a W on the road pop up. You're seeing Halliburton (laughs) returning to form. You're seeing some production from Jordan Nuora, who you just got in that trade. Again, you know where I stand, but what's the plan on your end? Win or lose? What do you want the Pacers to do, Adam? Well, I said it last week. I'm going to stick behind my convictions because – you know, I'm just that way. I think the team is going the wrong way if you're going to try to start winning games. Now, I'm not going to say the Orlando Magic are a good team, so maybe the Pacers could be better than them. Remember, we're kind of sitting at the bottom of the Eastern Conference still. I do believe that it could be the start of some winning, but good news for Pacers fans, truly, and I consider it good news. <laughs> Probably other people don't. But the Pacers play all three of their games next week, or sorry, not next week, this week away, which, again, the Pacers do not win on the road. Like I said, they got their first road win against the Magic since December. And again, the Magic sit at 13th in the Eastern Conference. So I'm a bit skeptical when I believe your first game is against the Dallas Mavericks at Dallas against Kyrie and Luka. So not not exactly the best environment to go into. I, I see the struggling continue, which for Pacers fans, like I said, is good news because moves us back up into the lottery a little bit. Yep. Now, I want to get comments on one more Pacers-related thing, and this is unrelated to any of the games. Now, I know fans are aware that the NBA comes out with the all-star game location a couple years, usually in advance, maybe a year or two. So for people that don't know, the all-star game was actually supposed to be played this year in Indianapolis, but it got canceled for reasons that I do not remember. And I apologize for not remembering that. So that means that next year in 2024, the all-star game will be in Indy. Again, as a Pacers fan, this excites me. I think it could be good for the market. Might help the fan base. Might get people to see Indianapolis as a nice city. But in your mind, Joey, do you think that 
this all-star game is something that helps Indy in the landscape of the NBA, or are they still just going to be cemented in as a small market team and a small market city? I don't know about its effects on the Pacers directly, but it is good for the city. I mean, I know you and I were both a little bit critical about the, uh, the all-star weekend and the way things have been going lately. But at the end of the day, these are still the world's best basketball players in Indianapolis. I have no doubt that the fans will be involved. I'm sure there'll be a wonderful turnout. I wouldn't mind going myself to seeing, I mean, you know, I'm a big LeBron fan. Obviously he's going to be an all-star as he is every year, but for probably the last time I might add, Hey, you never know, but I, I think it's good for the city and, Indianapolis has proven to be a good hosting city for sporting events of any kind. I mean, I know they had the Super Bowl back in 2012. They've held a number of Final Four uh, games for the NCAA March Madness. I think it's good for the city. Like I said, it something I wouldn't mind attending. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. This is a topic I don't want to dive in too deep because it actually – you were talking about rattling my bones and things that makes me angry, but – I'm already frustrated that they're trying to move the NFL combine as many times as they are away from Indy. They're moving the NCAA basketball championships away from Indy into different markets. Not to mention, you know, we haven't had a Super Bowl obviously since the one that we held in Indy and Indy gets largely ignored as a cold city, which I remember, I can't remember who the commentator was that talked about Indy can't host a Super Bowl. And then people proved why it was wrong. I don't know. Like, I, I want Indy to be a successful city. You know, I, I'm a I'm a home state type of person. You know, I root for all Indiana-based teams. You know, it's one of the reasons we do this podcast is we're fans of our state and our teams. But I would, like you said, I, I hope it can be something. I'm just a bit pessimistic on my end that it'll turn into anything for us. Yeah, I, I can understand that. So there, there's two more quick topics that I kind of want to touch on before we wrap up and move on to verse of the day. But Adam, you and I intended a high school basketball game this past Friday in my hometown of Huntington, Indiana, not my hometown, but where I currently reside. I'm going to say his name wrong, probably, but Kokomo center, Flory, Badunga, Badunga, Badinga. Yeah. See, I told you I'd say it wrong, but hey, you said he was, Flory, right? <laughs> yeah. His team of Kokomo was in Huntington playing Huntington North. Adam and I had planned for weeks that we was going to attend this game. So we did. Much to our surprise, Adam, can you tell us who was in attendance for this game to watch Flory? Yes, Purdue coach Matt Painter was in attendance to watch Flory Bedinga play against Huntington. Yeah, obviously it was kind of surreal for me of being a lifetime Purdue fan. It kind of shocked both of us because this was 24 hours before that Purdue and IU game. But uh, Adam and myself both got the opportunity to meet him. Wonderful guy. I mean, he all game long, you'd look over there. He's taking pictures and signing autographs. And obviously him being an attendant shows that he's very interested in Flory, which who isn't at this point? He's already proven how how good of a player it is. But I, we saw this story on Facebook after the game, Adam. And you mentioned we actually sat by this kid. But there's a fourth grader that attends a school in Huntington who was born in the same country as Flory. And I hope I get this right, but the Dominican Republic of Congo, was that correct? Democratic Republic of Congo. Yes. So so this kid who attends school in Huntington was born in the same country as Flory. Like I said, attends in Huntington. He came to this game setting in the Huntington student section for their elementary kids, supporting a Flory jersey, 
and after the game, it was, he actually got to meet Flory back in the locker room. And I don't know if you saw it too, but between that and even before the game, Flory was kind of, you know, giving fives to some of the kids and dancing with them. Seems like an incredible kid, both on and off the court. And I know that you said he's extremely intelligent. Yes, knows five languages. I can't yeah, but... name all, all of them, but for people that don't know who Flory Bedinga is, you know, let me give some background real quick. So in the 2024 college men's basketball class, he is currently the number four player. Has only played organized basketball for two years. Never really played before coming to the United States. And the reason we went to see him is I am a teacher in the corporation where he goes to school, which is in Kokomo, Indiana. So watching this kid, you know, for me, I was genuinely excited just to see what he could do on the court. And I think he proved just what type of player he can be if he keeps getting more experience. What are your thoughts on that before we... I think you hit the nail right on the head. And again, I just want to highlight both on and off the court. He seems like an extraordinary kid. And I don't know that he plays college ball, but if he does, I definitely want him in West Lafayette. And I know you said you'd root for him no matter where he goes, as I will. But just wanted to highlight that because both Matt Painter and Flory, you know, were standout human beings that day. And I just wanted to throw that out there. But another thing, and this this we're just going to touch on for a brief moment, but and this might be, be more up your alley because you have more ties to the city of Indianapolis itself, but the AAA team of the Pittsburgh Pirates resides in Indianapolis, the Indianapolis Indians. So obviously, lately, there's been a lot of name changes. We saw it in Cleveland change their name to the Guardians. We saw Washington changing their names to the Commanders. The Indianapolis Indians this week actually went a different route. They announced that they partnered with a local tribe. I believe it was the Miami tribe of here, yep. here in Indiana. And they're going to keep their namesake. They're going to remain as Indianapolis Indians. But what they're going to do is they're going to highlight different tribes around the state of Indiana and their history. I thought that was a really cool way to approach this. I mean, I don't I don't really want to get into the debate of is it right or wrong to force someone to change the name. But right. just to see that it still exists in the world, that that we can come to these conclusions in an orderly fashion and agreements. And I think it was just a beautiful thing to see. Do you have anything to add on that, Adam? I think there is some... Initially, from what I've read and heard about this, there was initially some, uh, like, you know, you were alluding to agreements. I heard there was some disagreements maybe on how to commemorate the tribes and why certain groups wanted to get rid of the name, perhaps. But I I know that Indiana, we're we're literally, we live in the Hoosier state. Indiana means land of Indians. Right. I know my experiences include working with the Navajo out in Arizona being yeah. on the Navajo reservation. Again, I, I might be a slightly different opinion on this just because of my experiences. They like to be called the Diné, the people. I know for some, they might be offended by this, but I think as a professional team, I think if you're going to take an approach to keeping a name that may have some issues with it, I think the, the Indianapolis-based team really did a nice job. You know, you you talked to local tribes. You got their insights. You came up with a way to highlight their histories and their significance, and those will be a regular part of their games this upcoming season and in the future. I think it's a good all-around look to bring 
awareness to, you know, the Indians past and maybe have us look and reflect on ourselves and maybe people can become better from it. And that's kind of where my thoughts on that reside. Yeah, very well said. I think it was well handled by all parties involved. All right, Adam, I think it's been a pretty good episode. You want to get into your verse of the week this week? Yeah, so my verse comes from Psalms, which people will probably learn that I like Psalms a lot. But I quote from sixty or from Psalm 62.7, my verse is, My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. I know lately, me personally, I've just been, I've been dealing with some personal struggles, I'll be honest. And kind of seeing that as a reminder this week, it really kind of spoke to me. And I know that sometimes as people, we get a little bit lost, we stray a little bit. But again, remember, everything relies on God and we need him if we're to go to heaven and live in the future and all the different positive ways that we need to. So again, looking at that mighty rock that he is just leaning on him in those times of need. I think we could all certainly use a little bit of that. I know this won't surprise Adam, but I'm going to quote a skillet song here, (laughs) but to quote a skillet song, God is our anchor. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of storms you're going through. It doesn't matter how rocky the water is. God's our anchor that can hold us there. He's our rock that we can lean on. He's a firm, he's a firm foundation and, the end of the day he is dependable he's shown that time and time again i wonder if they took the song from that verse almost verbatim sounded like the verse <laughs> i'll have to go listen to that you now. have to listen to it adam it's called anchor and i highly suggest everyone else give it a listen to a little bit of a backstory before we wrap up i am a huge skillet fan i'm gonna leave it at that <laughs> and you've been one for a long time i might add yes all right pretty good episode adam if i do say so myself i agree all right everybody i thank you for listening i hope to see you guys here again next week in the meantime i know we haven't been very active but i'm looking to get into posting some more articles and you can find those at hoosierstatesports.com you can also find us at hoosier state sports on facebook but until next week god bless and everyone have a good week